I'm here today with our great friend, Brandon Robertson. Brandon is a noted author, activist, and public theologian working in the intersections of spirituality, sexuality, and social renewal. He currently serves as the pastor of Metanoia Church, a digital progressive faith community, and the host of the Big Questions podcast. A prolific writer, he is the author of seven books on spirituality, justice, and theology, including the Indies Book of the Year Award finalist, True Inclusion, Creating Communities of Radical Embrace. He has bylines and publications such as Time, San Diego Union Tribune, Huffington Post, NBC, and the Washington Post, and is a regular columnist for Bishop John Shelby Spong's Progressing Spirit newsletter, as well as Baptist News Global. Brandon is regularly interviewed in national and global media outlets, including CNN, NPR, MSNBC, Hot Press Ireland, The Independent UK, and The New York Times. In 2021, Rolling Stone magazine included Brandon in its annual hot list of top artists, creative, and influencers who are giving us reason to be excited about the future. Amen. Brandon has also served on advisory committees and in working groups for the Democratic National Convention, the U.S. Department of State, Department of Health and Human Services, the Humane Society, and in 2020 was named a fellow of the prestigious Salzburg Global Seminar. He was named by a human rights campaign as one of the top faith leaders leading the fight for LGBTQ plus equality and is a founding member of the Union of Affirming Christians, the Global Interfaith Commissions on LGBT plus Lives, and the Ozane Foundation U.S. Brandon is currently pursuing a Ph.D. in religion from Drew University. And I should also add that he has presented at several Writing for Your Life conferences and also contributed to the first How to Heal Our Divides book. His new book that we're going to talk about today is Dry Bones and Holy Wars, A Call for Social and Spiritual Renewal from Orbus Books. So, Brandon, as always, uh, so wonderful to be here with you. Um, every time I read your bio, I'm just more impressed. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And likewise, I'm impressed by all the amazing good work that you're doing in the world, Brian, and always excited to have a conversation with you. It is. Uh, you know, you and I are quite a few years apart in age, but, you know, we share just a ton of values and beliefs and interests. And uh, so it's just always great to be able to spend some time with you. <laughs> so after all that that I talked about, what can you tell us that you'd like people to know about you that I didn't cover? Goodness. Um, yeah, I mean, really, that I'm a progressive Christian like so many folks that I'm sure are watching that is in a moment of crisis. Um, I think not only the pandemic was a moment of crisis, not only was the Trump presidency a moment of crisis, but like, I feel like all of us are collectively in a moment of looking at the storm clouds gathering around so many things in the world and asking some big questions. And um, that has reshaped my own sense of vocation over the past few years, um, leaving pastoral ministry and then go potentially going back into pastoral ministry and changing what that looks like. Um, like, I think we're all... I talk to so many people that are just wondering, like, what am I doing in my life at this moment to help meet the challenges that are uh, on the horizon? And what is, where are we finding our hope? Where are we finding our uh, new belief system that can actually meet the challenges of this moment? And so that's just, I kind of feel like where I'm at over these past few years, it's definitely kind of the undergirding of this new book. Um, and my last couple books actually and so yeah hope that resonates with people and i hope uh folks are right there with me yeah no there are a lot of people who are no question about that 
Uh, but before we get into the new book, let's touch on some of the previous books for those that are not familiar with ones. Which ones would you like to highlight? Yeah, I mean, so I'm about to embark on this the book tour for the new book. And what has been funny is that a lot of people are interested in the new book, but have asked me also to speak about a couple of the other um, older books, which has signaled to me that there's something happening, at least in a lot of church spaces um, in this moment. So um, the book you mentioned, True Inclusion, Creating Communities of Radical Embrace, it's one of my smallest books. Um, it's under 100 pages, I think, of actual content. But it was meant to be a guide uh, for churches to begin thinking about what it looks like to include beyond putting a rainbow flag out front of their church or saying Black Lives Matter. And I feel like the pandemic gave people, in some sense, uh, a break from thinking about inclusion in that sense. Mm-hmm. But now that folks are returning to church, now that folks are actually getting engaged and organizing in their communities again, people are ready to start having a conversation about how do we take Jesus's inclusion imperative to its radical conclusion. Um, and so that book, is a practical guide on how I tried to do that as a pastor of a community in San Diego. And um, it draws on kind of some of the big hot button topics of our day, like intersectionality and um, what it looks like to understand how oppressive systems are at work and people with intersecting identities um, are facing exclusion on multiple levels. And how do we think about that as churches and pastors and community leaders? And then um, my most recent book, Filled to be Emptied, is kind of an expansion on true inclusion. It is a biblical study of Philippians chapter 2, a famous passage about Christ putting on um, the appearance of a servant and becoming a human being to serve others. And um, it was an exploration of what it's like for Christians of privilege to do the same thing, to take off our privilege and to begin utilizing it in the same way Christ utilized his own power and privilege for the good of others. It's a call for us to do the same. And so I've kind of unplanningly found myself in the space talking about practical inclusion and privilege and intersectionality, um, which again, were not things that I set out ever to begin talking about, but mm-hmm. it's just a necessity moment. And I'm not an expert on any of those things, um, but I write as a practitioner. Um, I write as somebody wrestling with those things in these complex moments. Um, And hopefully I'm able to help others begin thinking in new ways about some of these topics. Well, as you know, I love all your books, but Phil to be empty, you know, particularly just hit me because of the whole aspect of dealing with privilege, you know, as another white male, you know, I just feel so, um, so much of a need, you know, to, try to wrestle with that and, um, you know, do whatever I possibly can in my little neck of the woods to try to use that privilege as sharingly, effectively, beneficially as I can. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, it's a difficult conversation. Privilege is not fun for anybody, especially those of us with a good deal of privilege to think about and talk about and feel to be emptied. I mean, talk about a book that I really really wrestled with in the process of writing because Mm. I am writing as a white uh, cisgender male. um, And there's a lot of folks who rightfully would wonder why do we need another white voice in this conversation? So filled to be empty was really meant to be a conversation with white communities that I, that's needed. I think we have to be speaking about it. (laughs) Not just looking for, 
you know, writers of color or other marginalized people to be saying this. I mean, so anyway, totally with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the new book. As I mentioned, the title is Dry Bones and Holy Wars, A Call for Social and Spiritual Renewal. Um, so first question, what inspired you to write that book? So if I'm being honest, and I'm sure I'm, my editor probably doesn't want me to say this, but uh, there's been two books in my life that I've been asked to write. Uh, True Inclusion was one of them. And then this book was uh, one of them. My editor, John Sweeney, who's a great author in his own. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, he reached out and said, hey, I, essentially, I know you've been pastoring during this Trump era, this moment of social upheaval and um, really distress for so many people. Would you be able to look back and find some of the sermons that you think were the most provocative, most helpful, helped your community start thinking and acting in different ways and put it together to create a book that could inspire other people that are feeling cynical and hopeless? And that was one, an honor to be asked, but also it was uh, an interesting invitation to go back over my almost four years of pastoring during the four years of Trump's presidency and reflect upon how, one, difficult it was to be a pastor uh, in that moment and how difficult it still is to be a pastor uh, in this moment. And what really emerged for me was um, how much I fell in love with the Bible again. Um, because every week I would have to stand up in front of my community at Mission Gathering in San Diego, which is a very progressive community. It was filled with minority folks. And I felt like, what am I going to say to one, give us hope because it felt really hopeless in those early years of Trump's presidency, especially. And two, that can actually call us to do something practical with our lives to help make a difference in this moment. And I would go to my study on Monday morning and open up the Bible. And what I found week after week was that there were these stories that I'd heard my whole life in the Bible, but I never realized how paralleled they were to so many of the things that were happening in our modern world. For instance, um, and this is one of the stories in the book, there's a famous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego mm. and up against King Nebuchadnezzar, who's forcing them to bow down and worship his gods, and they refuse, and they end up getting thrown into a fiery furnace. That story has so much to actually say to Christians in the moments of the Trump presidency when we see this leader that has values we considered antithetical to everything we knew Jesus was about, using a version of Christianity to call a nation to bow down and submit to this racist, sexist, transphobic, homophobic, xenophobic agenda. And so I spent time like really diving into that story again and wrestling with it and pulling out the great wisdom of the biblical tradition. And again, week after week, I would find those stories and realize how profoundly prophetic the Bible was and how relevant these stories were. And my community responded really well to that. Um, and so when I got to compile these sermons and like go through and try to find some sermons that were addressing the social issues that we're facing right now, but then also sermons that were addressing the spiritual crisis so many of us are in of cynicism and hopelessness and wondering is Christianity even still worth believing in if it's being used in such a terrible way? Um, yeah, it was really fun, honestly, to get to go back and pull those sermons together and try to create a book that gives a little injection of hope and gives a little direction for people um, based on our Bible, based on our tradition to lean into this moment and create social and spiritual renewal. 
So let's talk about the title. I have two different questions about the title. First one, Dry Bones and Holy Wars. Where did that come from? <laughs> That's John Sweeney. Uh, so <laughs> many authors will relate to this. We have uh, generally very little um, say over titles and stuff, and I'm actually really bad at titling things, so I'm grateful for John on this, and I think it's spot on in some sense. Um, dry Bones is a sermon in the book uh, using Ezekiel's vision of dry bones. Um, and then there's a sermon called Holy Wars, which was actually based off of an Alicia Keys song called Holy mm. Wars mm. about sexuality and how it's been misused by the church. And that really these two sermons both bring together what the book is about. We're talking about in my sermon on dry bones, I'm talking about how we're in this moment of a lot of people that feel cynical and dried out and lifeless and how I think God is calling us in this moment to stand up and have new life and demand change in our society. And Holy Wars is about the very real sense that we're in a holy war, that there is some sort of spiritual battle, even though I don't use that language a ton anymore, happening in this moment, um, especially in the realm of Christianity. And so what are we to do? Uh, those of us who see the call of Jesus to be engaged in social justice and to be engaged in renewing our world. How do we quote unquote fight this holy war? How do we, what are the weapons which are actually love and service and sacrifice? Um, so I think uh, John pulled that together. It's provocative enough. It causes people to ask questions because it's not yes, that yes. Drop off the surface, but the subtitle really helps as well. A call to social and spiritual renewal. I've been using that language probably for eight or nine years uh, to describe what I do in the world. You read it in my bio. I talk about spirituality, sexuality, and uh, social renewal. And it's really a kind of a play off of uh, Father Richard Rohr's concept of action yeah. and content. Um, yeah. He says that that is the posture of the Christian life, that we're engaged in action in the world and inner contemplative grounding. So I've kind of used that paradigm to say, yeah, we're called to be engaged in social renewal in the world and a spiritual renewal in our own self. And so, yeah, it's a, a lot packed in there. It requires some explanation, but I also hope um, it it's provocative enough that it causes people to want to pick it up and, and read a bit. So um, a little bit ago, we talked about Phil to be Empty, um, you know, which has a lot of, to me, commonality, you know, with this book. Um in the book description for the new book, it says um, you use Christian scripture to call us to wake up and take action for collective good of the ways of Jesus, which sounds, you know, at a superficial level, I know, very similar to Phil to be empty. Yeah. <laughs> so how yeah. do you differentiate these two? Yeah, I mean, well, there's not a ton of difference in one sense, because that's all I do in the world. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm constantly using the Bible, constantly using the example of Jesus and trying to find ways to use it in fresh ways that challenge and subvert some traditional thinking around Christianity. Um, I think the difference is all of both books actually are rooted in sermons first. Uh, Filled to be Emptied was a series of sermons that was turned into a book. And so I took this one particular scripture passage and drew out great wisdom from it over, I think, like two months uh, at my church. And that turned into a book. And this one is drawing all sorts of different scriptures um, as a foundation for great wisdom and direction for our modern day. And again, it brings me back to the realization that I had as I was compiling this book, which is 
the Bible's still very relevant. And as much as I've grown cynical at times, and as much as sometimes I want to throw the Bible across the room and forget about it, um, it's also a really, to use the biblical language, it's living and active in some sense. Like there's some real life in the scriptural text that has something to say for our moments. And for those of us for whom the Bible is an important book based on our upbringing or based on what we currently believe, um, I just find it a really helpful tool to have profound conversations. Um, and its stories are universal stories. Um, they are allegories and myths and uh, motifs that transcend time. They transcend culture. And so um, this book and pretty much every other book in some sense is rooted in me wrestling with biblical texts and trying to find their continued relevance and continued instruction for our modern day. Well, your insights have been always been really, very valuable. So keep doing it. <laughs> so I'd like to read from a couple of endorsements of the book. <clears throat> this one's from our mutual friend, Rich Taffel. He says, um, as millennials and Gen Z are turning away from the church, Robertson's message invites them to consider again, the wisdom of the Bible interpreted with new eyes and heard with new ears, all coming from the same eternal source of love. So do you feel with this book that you're targeting a younger audience? In some sense, and I've wrestled with this because despite being called the TikTok pastor and all of those things, um, I've always, just personality-wise, I've always resonated with folks that were older than me, and I've uh, really never attempted to relate to my own generation or younger people because that's just not where I felt called or like I had a lot of energy around. But with TikTok over the past two years and the ability to speak to 200,000 young people every day, I did and I have been thinking like, how do I create resources that one, they would want to pick up? Because a lot of my books are a little bit more theological, a little bit more hefty. Um, so how do I create a resource that's not for the church, it's not for ministry professionals, but something that anybody can pick up and learn something or be challenged by something? Um, and so I really do hope that, that this book is that for them. Um, one of my most viral TikTok videos is uh, where I take the story of Jesus talking to the Syrophoenician woman, and he calls her a dog and refuses to heal her daughter. And I talk about how what if this is a moment of Jesus being confronted on his own inner bias and this woman keeps demanding, you should still heal my daughter because it's the right thing to do, despite you not liking me because I'm Syrophoenician. That video on TikTok went viral, still is talked about every day on Twitter I get on because I suggest Jesus maybe made a mistake. And what would that mean for our theology if we could relate to Jesus as somebody who mm. messed up, mm. repented, and grew? Mm. Um, and, of course, that's not orthodox. I'm not trying to be orthodox. But um, <laughs> the sermon that I based that off of is in this book. And, like, that was part of my thought process mm -hmm. is on TikTok, I get no more than three minutes to talk about these things. I want people to be able to pick up a book that's accessible and see that I'm not just some crazy left-wing heretic trying to mess with the Bible. But, like, there's a deep reflection we can have on that's some of these. Um, so... I don't know if this is going to be the, the book that brings the next generation back to the church, but I do hope that it's um, a resource for those who have come into my orbit in the past few years mm. to see why perhaps faith is worth holding on to. I do think in a strange way I've become an evangelist again. Um, and yeah. 
Very cool. Very cool. So here's another endorsement from uh, Father James Martin. He says, Brandon Robertson is one of the most astute young Christian writers. His compelling new book, Deeply Rooted in the Bible, shows how Scripture can inform the most contemporary of questions and help us lead the most spiritual of lives. Well, first of all, it's just a wonderful endorsement from a wonderful person. Yeah. Um, what are some of the specific contemporary questions that you address in the book? Yeah. Well, first I'll say there's probably almost no person in the Christian world today that I respect more than Father Jim Martin. So it is an honor to have his endorsement, but also to have gotten to have a friendship with him over the past few years. Um, and his willingness to stick his own neck out on the line. As Absolutely. I, uh, so He's been but, a great role model for us all. Totally. Totally. Um, and yeah, this book, I mean, I really did try to choose sermons that addressed everything. Um, and so there's sermons in here about climate change. There's sermons in here about racial justice. There's sermons in here. The only topic we really don't breach directly is LGBT issues because we want it for the first time to have a book that didn't have that. Uh, I've written enough about that. So, um, but really, I would say the big issue that I'm talking about broadly in this book is polarization, which I know uh, how to heal your divides. Uh, you're very interested in that topic and I've been doing great work around it. But it's one of the most perplexing issues of this moment um, because it's not at all, it's far too easy for Christians just to say, love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemy. But when our enemies are as vitriolic as they are in this moment, and when there are mobs of people uh, shouting Nazi slogans, like things are a lot more complex than just so love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and so I want it in my sermons during the Trump era and in this book to like, ask the big questions about the moment that we're in um, from a meta level. Like what happens? What is our responsibility when democracy is declining? What is our responsibility when we can't figure out how to love our neighbor because our neighbor is so dangerous and vengeful and is lying all the time. Uh, we've never had leaders that so blatantly lie as much as we have in the past few years. So I think you'll find almost every social issue that's uh, big and pressing in the American world in this book addressed in some degree. But the big question is, how do you preserve your soul in this moment? And let's think through the biblical wisdom about how to heal our democracy, how to heal our divides, how to heal this moment of great wounding and division. Um, and I don't have answers, but I do present what I think the ancient wisdom has to say. And I'll stop talking about it after this, but I did post an excerpt. And I mean, again, when I write, I'm not writing as an expert. I'm writing as somebody trying to provoke conversation. And so like the first chapter of the book is a sermon I preached right at the beginning of the Trump presidency at First Baptist Church in Denver from a pulpit Martin Luther King Jr. had uh, preached behind. And the very first the sermon is kind of naive. It's a very bridge building. We just need to set aside our differences and come together around the table. But I included it in this book, even though I don't necessarily fully agree with all of the premises of the sermon, because I kind of want to take readers on that journey, knowing that there are some Christians who still really want to believe the simple message of Jesus of love your neighbor. Let's get over our divisions. Let's hold hands and figure out how to make this work. But some people have, push back on that excerpt on the internet being like, this doesn't work in our day. 
And I think that's good. I'm trying to encapsulate the whole conversation and my whole range of thought and emotion over the past six years. So yeah, rambling on about that question, but uh, takes you on a journey, I hope so. Well, there's so much nuance, right? You you know, some of the different statements that you sure you can say, no, it doesn't work, but well, it works sometimes. It works for some people and it doesn't work for other people. So you, you can't make blatant black and white, you know, <clears throat> judgments on such things. And I know that's one of your skills is to bring out the nuance. Yeah. So. At least I try, but I mean, again, in this moment of division, it is so easy to become polarized. It is so easy to see things in a dualistic way. And TikTok, I've talked about this, I probably with you multiple times too, of like TikTok has not been helpful for me in not being divisive because it's so easy on the internet, on these apps that are literally created to pit us against one another. Yes. All into a trap where I'm just demonizing a whole group of evangelicals rather than engaging in the nuance. And so I say that just to say, I think we're all on a, a journey. We all need to acknowledge our humanity in the moment of this. And like, it takes a lot of grace to navigate this most tumultuous of times. And I end the book. The last sermon is an, uh, in the book is an Advent sermon. Um, that I preached at Mission Gathering right after Trump won, called A Light in Our Darkness. And it is that call to say, like, the reason we have faith is that as hard as it is, as divisive as things are, as imperfect as we are at addressing this moment, the reason people have faith is that we are going to keep holding on even stubbornly to the belief that somewhere down the line, we'll return to light once again. We will overcome this moment uh, like we've done thousands of times before as humanity. Um, but the rest of the book is meant to highlight how freaking hard that is to get mm. to that kind of, uh, in this moment. Mm. So, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, you, you're a prolific writer. That, that term is used for a lot of people. You really are. <laughs> You've got a ton of great books. So can you talk any at all about what's next? Any future books that you're able to discuss yet? Yeah. I mean, I've been working on one book probably for 10 years. Uh, right after Nomad, my very first book came out. I had a book in my head called In Awe of the Ordinary. and It was a more general spirituality book about how to live a meaningful life, regardless of your religious beliefs. Um, and over the past 10 years, my own worldview and spirituality has shifted so much. And that book has shifted so much. But I've been working with my agent, Kathleen Fulsani, for the past year to really like figure out the angle and I'm grateful we waited. Um, and because this moment of my thirties uh, coming into my thirties uh, in the last six months and this moment of social upheaval has really challenged so much of how I see meaning making and what it means to live a meaningful life. But yeah, I'm working right now um, actively. I've got like 15 different proposals for what this book could look like um, about the basic premise that I don't think life has an objective meaning, but I do think there are tried and true paths to creating a meaningful life. And so um, I want to use the lessons I've learned practically over the past decade to create meaning in my own life, um, to help others figure out in this moment of cynicism where we're not sure if there are any answers and religion <laughs> seems to be failing, <laughs> Can we still have a meaningful life? Is there a way to still live with purpose and hope and health and wholeness? Um, and I think that there is, obviously. And I want to 
try to imperfectly teach folks what uh, has worked for me and hopefully it helps them. So I don't know what it'll look like. Don't know when that'll be out, but uh, it's definitely one that I'm continuing to work towards. That's very cool. Very cool. We'll look forward to that. So for now, <clears throat> the latest book is Dry Bones and Holy Wars, A Call for Social and Spiritual Renewal from Orbis Books. And you can learn about Brandon and all of his work at brandonrobertson.com. So Brandon, thanks so much you know, for spending time with us. Uh, it's always a pleasure and uh, really glad that you came out with this latest book. Brian, thank you so much for your support and always great to chat with you. Okay, thanks so much.